Welcome into the All Things at Bama podcast powered by BamaCentral.com, your Sports Illustrated affiliate for all Crimson Tide news and information. I'm your host, Tyler Martin, joined for a recruiting edition of the show with Sports Illustrated All-American director and uh, scout John Garcia, Jr. Uh, John, it's been a minute since we've had you on here. And now that this is your first time back, when we've actually had official visits, man. Guys have been on campus. We're kind of getting back into, you know, the swing of things. And it's all the craziness that's, that's, you know, that's already unfolded for a lot of programs. And then there's a lot of craziness that's, uh, that's set to unfold here. Right. You know, this is, is really so different. I think, you know, a traditional cycle and official visits are sort of heightened because it's, it's 48 hours on the school of dime. And that's big no matter what time of year, no matter what's going on. But these just feel bigger because we haven't had it for 15 months, you know, that class of 2021 signed without official visits um, and, and the class of 2022 has been chomping at the bit uh, for any kind of traditional visit. So I think camps and unofficial visits are great, but really the programs emphasizing official visits are plentiful coast to coast, uh, whether you're, you're Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Ohio State on this side of the country or even out West, USC is doing a great job, Oregon getting national prospects to take trips to their campus uh, because official visits really do change the game. They open everything up uh, to, to almost an even playing field, which is not something we say a lot about college football. So I think the anticipation of the visits combined with them being in the middle of the summer to where there's really no like weather restrictions or school restrictions for these kids just means everybody's gonna be mobile. Uh, we expected a lot of movement in June and we've already seen uh, almost 40 prospects make commitments, double-digit decommitments as well across the country. So it's sort of uh, as expected, but still certainly exciting uh, with, with everything back to what we think is normal. No doubt about it. And you guys just unveiled the initial team rankings for 2022. Had Alabama outside the top 20, the defending champs, uh, a lot of people were shocked by that. Uh, I, know I wasn't necessarily because based on how you guys – evaluate the commitments and what we've talked about before on here is like, you know, it's just premium positions, right? Quarterback, offensive line, defensive back, things like that. And team needs, obviously that's how you guys rank them. But then on Sunday, uh, you know, just four days after official visits open up, Alabama gets its second running back commitment from Le'Veon Moss right, right in the back door. I mean, literally right in the backyard of LSU right there in Baton Rouge. Um, and you just kind of got the feeling, John, that somebody was going to pop uh, you didn't know who, but you've been kind of hearing some things. Okay, it could have been this kid, it could have been that kid, and it ends up being Le'Veon Moss, another get for Alabama. He's also the second player from the state of Louisiana in this class joining Walter Bob. Both of those guys obviously credited to the recruitment of Pete Golding as well, so he's doing a good job there. Um, first, give me your assessment of Le'Veon Moss, and maybe, you know, listeners who don't maybe not know a lot about him, what, what, do you, what kind of player do you think he is? I think, Tyler, he's one of these guys that we talked about years ago you know we talked about in the, the beginning of really this Saban era there was this sort of uh heightened weight expectation of running backs um and, and then in recruiting they started to pop up more consistently so we said that kid looks like an Alabama running back uh, so we've gotten away from that as the game has opened up and and you know pass catching running backs smaller running backs have have become just as popular but I think Le'Veon is a throwback to that conventional Alabama running back when they were signing you know the Trent Richardson's the TJ Yeldon's the Eddie Lacy's the Mark Ingram's of the world it was a guy who you expected to be no nonsense one cut downhill in between the tackles with with a little bit of, of pump behind his pads and I think Moss 
checks all of those boxes. It's it's a boost when you get a kid out of Louisiana. It's an extra boost when it's Baton Rouge, right? Um, you know, Dylan Moses, Tim Williams back, not back in the day, but several years ago, Chris Allen on this current roster. The Baton Rouge group is is growing seemingly by the year. Um, and Moss fits that that classic SEC style of running back. But what I think makes him interesting, Tyler, is his top end speed. He's a bigger guy, six foot, 200 pounds, probably a little heavier at this point. But when he gets in the open field, he's picking them up and putting them down. You know, he runs 11 flat in the 100 meter dash. Um, and you can see it on tape. You know, oftentimes it doesn't translate. Here, it absolutely translates. There is an ease to watching Levy and Moss run the football. And I think that's another prerequisite for some of the best backs Bama has brought in. We used to say that about Derrick Henry. We certainly said that about Najee Harris as the number one player in the country in that 2017 class. Levian makes it look easy. And I'm not saying he's going to be Derrick or Najee, but physically he's closer to that than some of these smaller backs that Alabama's brought in in recent years. And, and I think he's a perfect complement to Emmanuel Henderson, who's more of, of, uh, of a gadget guy, great pass uh, catcher, elite in space, great, great explosion in speed. I think Moss is more conventional in between the tackles. So you have your own thunder and lightning building with this class. And, and it really is a position of need because as we, as you know, Bama has been active in the transfer portal on the negative side yeah. at the running back position. So I think taking two backs was probably always the plan, yeah. but it, it became more important literally in the last week or two. So to answer that call, uh, you know, not not very long later, I thought was really important uh, for Alabama. So they could basically move on to other positions uh, in this class of 2022, which is obviously going to be the focus from here on out since the class is a bit of a slow build like we've seen uh, across uh, really a lot of college football with with the roster numbers and, and eligibility all crazy um, with the NCAA. So I think everyone's taking a smaller class. So every commitment you take um, should be addressing a team need or a major target. And I thought Alabama did that with with Moss. Yeah, the 85 scholarship number, you should take that and just throw it out the window. Uh, because, I mean, we don't we don't know how many really is going to have with, you know, guys who are coming back. Like, I think of on this current roster, you know, Chris Owens is one of those players, for example, on the offensive line who you didn't think was going to get a fifth, sixth year. But he, he's going to get that now um, in, in 2021. Uh, and so it's just – it's all it's all befuddled. It's all mixed up there. But I'm glad you mentioned Emmanuel Henderson, too, because I was going to kind of ask you about that, dude, you know, thunder and lightning. Because it's like every other year, you know, Alabama wants to get two running backs. And going into this, I mean, when I first talked to Emmanuel, I kind of got the fit because even then, you know, he was kind of like their number one running back on the board. And this was in the fall of 2020. This was like going his summer, like going into uh, his sophomore season. And you kind of got the feeling, okay, this is their number one guy, and they want to get a guy to compliment him. And they get a very, very hard runner. Very, I mean, I've, watched, I've been watching a lot of his tape. Moss is a guy who you do not want coming downhill at you at all. And they get him. And now it's kind of like you can move on to those other positions. And offensive line is one of those as well, John. And they had a couple guys uh, for official visits, Jacob Sexton out of Oklahoma, who appears really, in, from my conversation, kind of appear tied to Oklahoma a little bit. And then Jake Taylor out of Bishop Gorman, another football factory out in Las Vegas. Uh, you know, he's – I mean, why would Alabama offered him? He was – you know, he was down to Oklahoma, Notre Dame, and Alabama. Um, he had a good official visit as well. Um, and then, you know, Tyler Booker obviously is another big target as well. From the offensive line, do you think that's kind of the biggest thing going forward for Alabama to continue building this class? Because it's going to be hard to fill the shoes of how great that 2021 haul was. Um, and it's, it, but it's also hard to kind of see, too, uh, you know, the big-name guys, maybe a lot of them, like we saw in bunches in 2021, commit from the 2022 class. 
Yeah, there's no doubt, Tyler. They they keep an eye on that class previous, uh, talking to elite prospects really at every position. Uh, they really keep an eye on on what the school brought in the year prior. And, and there's no doubt that Alabama offensive line hall is the best I've ever covered in, in 10 years of doing this. And it's not going to be easy to fill that up. Just like, you know, when you when you sign a Tua Tungvaluwa, hard to get that next guy. Uh, when you sign a Bryce Young, hard to grab that next prospect. So uh, I think it translates to all different positions. Uh, but I do think Taylor getting on campus was big, like you said, out of Bishop Gorman. I think he's, you know, of those two official visitors, much more likely to Alabama at this point. As you said, he immediately thrust Bama right into his top group. That's always a good sign. That means there was communication. That means the offer was expected and anticipated. So once it comes through, boom, you take the visit and you go from there. Uh, Bama always wants to dip into West Coast powers if it can. So Bishop Gorman, modern day, um, Folsom, you know, from where Jonah Williams is from. Bama always wants to dip into some of these West Coast powers if at all possible. Um, but what I think will be different about this class on the O-line, although it's a huge need in terms of numbers, Tyler, again, what are the overhead numbers looking like, right? Bama signed this huge five-man class last year. I wouldn't expect the same volume in 2022. So I think that limits to, to some degree who they're going to go after along the offensive line. I don't think they need to land as many as they did last year, uh, especially as you mentioned with, with some other prospects gaining that extra year of eligibility that kind of resets the board a little bit more in terms of the on-field, you know, Saturday product uh, at Bryant-Denny Stadium. So I do think it's a smaller number of targets, but it doesn't mean there will be any drop-off in talent. Uh, you, you mentioned Taylor and Sexton. Tyler Booker is going to take his last official to Alabama, which is interesting, right? You know, the positioning there, you either want to be first or last, it seems like. With these official visits and Alabama is really backloading those officials for the month of June uh, and then Booker's going to make his decision in July so you know he just came off the trip to Florida absolutely loved it uh, Georgia's heavily involved here Alabama's right in the mix he's got ties to, to that roster with JC Latham Evan Neal fellow IMG Academy guys but look IMG Academy's got ties to every school in the country it seems like uh, but if you can grab a couple of offensive linemen and I would say with a focus on versatility, like a Booker, like a Jake Taylor, then I think you have a little bit more uh, flexibility with how you construct that offensive line roster. It's not going to be that conventional five-man O-line class like we saw last year. One, because the talent isn't quite the same, and two, because the need isn't quite the same. So I would I would expect a smaller number there. And again, all of these recruiting classes are going to be smaller. We can't emphasize that enough. The conventional, hey, we're taking 25 is really out the window. I think the, the more conventional number for this cycle will be closer to 20. And from what I'm hearing more recently, it might be in the upper teens for most programs. Uh, so obviously, as, as the rest of the summer continues and the portal remains active, those numbers will fluctuate. But we don't expect really any program to have a huge 25, 26, 27 man class like we saw Alabama bring in last year. Yeah, just one thing on the offensive line, it's like, it, to me, it seems like it's going to be how it was in 2020, where you had, you know, Javion Cohen, you had Seth McLaughlin, and then you had Damian George, those three guys. And I mean, you know, Seth's more on the interior, Damian can play, he can do both. And then Javion Cohen's obviously, you know, he's that kind of like the tackle. To, and to me, it kind of seems similar to that, the way that they're going with it right now. And then until you mentioned the numbers, John, yeah, I mean, another reason you got to keep those numbers down is because you don't know who's going to pop up in the portal. Like, you know, Henry Toa Toa was sitting there for Alabama. Jamison Williams was sitting there for Alabama. You didn't think those guys were going to, you know, get up in there. 
And, you know, hearing Coach Saban kind of talk about it, it's funny. You know, he goes, nobody's going to transfer from our school. All right, that, you know, that's a good play that's going to transfer from us. We're, you know, we're going to use it to our advantage. And we're going to get the good players. And, yes, you're going to have, like, the Brandon Turnages and you're going to have, you know, the Keelan Robinsons. You know, they're going to transfer. Things will pop up. And no disrespect to those players. But in terms of the, the best of the best, it doesn't look like it's going to affect the Alabamas, Clemsons, or Ohio States of the world. No, it's going to help them. And that's what, that's what I was, I was surprised that people weren't anticipating with the transfer portal. Um, Look, I mean, just look at Alabama and Georgia, right? I mean, Georgia, Georgia basically rounded out their secondary in the portal. They got the kid from West Virginia, who's an all American kind of player. They got Darian Kendrick from Clemson, who was, was an all ACC guy. Um, So the turnage commitment wasn't even as important once you got Darian Kendrick. And then obviously offensively, they get Arik Gilbert to, to have one of the most ridiculous tight end tandems in the country with him and, and uh, Darnell Washington from two years ago in the recruiting trail. Those are the number one and two tight ends for, for pretty much everybody. So um, the portal has been great to Georgia on both ends. And, and for Alabama, I mean, my gosh, Jamison Williams and Henry T, who, you know, <laughs> who who would see that and say, Oh, well, this isn't going to continue. This is a, this is a, an isolated incident. No, no, no. This is here to stay. Um, and it's not going to just be at random positions. It's, you're going to start to see it more and more at quarterback. You're going to see it more and more at left tackle and corner, et cetera. Uh, so yeah, the portal is only going to help the elite programs uh, and honestly keep great sort of undiscovered talent away from the smaller programs. Cause now if you're uh, take Quincy Roche a couple of years ago, dominates at Temple, All-American pass rusher, but just doesn't think his profile is seen enough. So transfers to Miami, uh, has a great year uh, alongside uh, Jalen Phillips, and they become this great pass rusher tandem, and now they're both in the NFL. So it's not even about the, the kids who are looking for playing time in general. It's also about good players who want a higher level of exposure, and there is no higher level than ex- of exposure then Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, uh, and so on and so forth. So there's really a, no matter how you look at it, the portal is going to help the Blue Bloods more than it hurts them um, because they're just going to replace those high school kids who leave with college players who have tape. And honestly, they would prefer it, although they'll never say that publicly. And you've been in this industry for a while now, John. And I, I was just thinking about this the other day. It's like, okay, Alabama gets Henry Toa Toa. And, you know, obviously the interconference transfer rule gets approved. Um, so he's eligible immediately. But, too, I mean, you go back and look at him, for example, coming out of high school. Jeremy Pruitt didn't get many wins on the trail against Nick Saban, but he got one, and that, that was Henry Toa Toa. And so him having – you know, Henry T having those connections to Nick Saban and that coaching staff, which is a little different two or three years ago when he was first coming out of high school. I get that. And, you know, he says, okay, well, there, there's a spot for me at Alabama. My, my question to you is, you know, you've been in this for a while. How much do you think that tampering is happening? I'm not saying tampering happened there. I'm just saying, like, because, you know, now there's kids that can go somewhere uh, for one year and things don't go right, and it's like, okay, boom, I can, I can hit up another coach and say, hey, you guys got some room for me here. Do you, do you kind of see this kind of happening? Because you talk to a lot of recruits as well, and it's just I, I kind of get the feeling that with this transfer rule, it's like there's so much tampering that's going to be going on, and we're already seeing it. Some coaches are going on the record saying that it's happening. Of course it's happening. Um, in, in every sport, in every facet, and, and the transfer portal combined with the one-time transfer rule has opened the door for it. It's inviting tampering because you're basically saying you might miss out on the kid when he signs out of high school, 
But if he elects to leave whatever school he signs with, now he's almost more committed to the second program. I was talking to the G5 head coach about this over the weekend. It's better to win the second recruitment than the first one, because now with that one time transfer rule, you can say, oh, I signed with the wrong place. I'm out of here. And you can go play at that second school. But at the second school, you're locked in for at least a year because you got to sit out if you leave. So literally winning the second recruitment is better in a lot of cases than winning the initial recruitment. And I think a lot of programs are altering their recruiting strategy because of it. So if you're a second tier program, let's say you're, I don't know, West Virginia, if you're recruiting against Penn State, Ohio State for a Northeast kid, probably not going to get him if he's good enough. But if you can finish second or third and he hits the portal in 365 days, guess what? Those relationships still matter. Um, and then, like you said, tampering on top of that now. So it's like you're recruiting to, to not win the recruitment if you're the program, but you're also building relationships around the prospect just in case he does hit the portal. And then look, you're going to utilize those resources. And I'm not isolating any one school or any one player. That's just the nature of the game. It's it's like, let's not be this naive to think there's there's no cheating going on at every level of college football. There's too much money. There's too much pressure. There's too many eyes on the sport to think it's it's 100% clean, whether it's recruiting, the portal, um, you know, eligibility, waivers from the NCAA. I mean, you can really jump in on that in any category surrounding the game of, of college football. Um, so again, if these rules are going to be in place, some of them open the door for more of this. And there is no doubt that the portal um, and that one-time transfer rule combined have busted that door wide open. So it's going to continue. And again, I think it's why some of these elite programs are only going to bolster their roster with experienced talent compared to just, you know, imported uh, high school talent. Yeah, I just wanted to get your opinion on that because it's going to really muddy the waters of, of, you know, what's going on in these programs um, kind of behind the scenes. And it's like, you know, you get to a program, you get to school day one, and it's not the campus isn't what you thought it was. And and I thought we would – and really with this 2021 class that didn't really get to get on campus, um, I thought we would see – I mean, obviously there's a lot of guys in the portal and stuff, but I thought we would kind of see it more just, you know, abundantly kind of – and maybe we will in the next few seasons. Maybe, maybe we will. Um, see guys just, you know, head out in bunches. Um, but, yeah, it, it, college football and college sports in general is kind of headed through a crazy direction. Let's kind of circle back to 2022, John. A couple more things. Defensive back is another position where I think Alabama really needs to kind of come on strong. And we, we know that Dom and I, Jackson, you know, the, the very talented USC pledge is going to be coming, um, you know, next – not this weekend, but next weekend. And then, you know, there's some other guys out there, right? Earl Little, Traquan Feagans out of uh, Oxford. Well, actually, by the way, he just transferred to Thompson. So, you know, Thompson's loaded now with Peter Wood, Jeremiah. Yeah, yeah they needed help on defense. defense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which Traquan, I mean, when I talked to him originally, like about a month or so ago, it was that, okay, you know, George is kind of the front runner there. And now Alabama swooped in because I think Saban kind of said, okay, I'm taking the control of a little bit of his recruitment. And he visited recently, was, in, was at one of the camps. Um, who Who is maybe that one defensive back prospect that you think Alabama needs to hit on in 2022? Well, it just depends. Are we talking optics uh, or are we talking about just pure talent? Because from an optical perspective, it's definitely Traquan Fragans. He's an in-state kid. He will be at, you know, less than an hour away from Tuscaloosa there in Alabaster at, at Thompson High School. 
Um, and he's a long time priority target at a priority position. So I think optically, it's probably Traquan Figgins. Like you said, George was absolutely in this ball game. This is a neck and neck recruitment. Um, and I think with Smoke Bowie decommitting from Georgia this week, there's a little bit more pressure to for Kirby to answer that bell. And, and between Traquan Fagans and Kamari Wilson, two DBs that the industry believes Georgia leads for, I think one of them jumps on board before, you know, before the, the, the preseason workouts begin. So I think that could be interesting for Alabama and Georgia with Traquan Fagans. But I think from a talent perspective, I'd, I'd go Damani Jackson or Denver Harris, even out of the state of Texas. Um, these are, are two of the most physically impressive corners in the country. I would throw Jaheim Singletary in there, the Ohio State commitment, all of them 6'2", all of them uber athletic, long, just exactly what Nick Saban wants in that sort of Marlon Humphrey mold of cornerbacks who can shut down a half of the field, but could also play with physicality uh, and support you in the run game and all three phases. So I think Harris is probably the guy I would circle if I was an Alabama fan. But again, that's another heavyweight battle with a lot of competitors, whether it's AM, uh, Texas, LSU, that list will, will be very expansive for Harris. With Damani Jackson, it's actually probably the most narrow list of competitors compared to some of these other guys. Um, a lot of people thought it was between USC and Michigan. He committed to USC and it was like, oh, well, if he takes trips, it'll be Michigan. No, no, no. He's taking a trip to Alabama. Um, we know about Alabama's prowess at modern day with Bryce Young and that crew, um, uh, the offensive lineman a few years prior. Uh, so I think that could be something to watch. USC is one of these programs that always wins the offseason because they're keeping L.A. kids home. It makes sense. But once you get to the fall, how how does that Helton staff coach on the field? Can they get over their, their own humps in their own conference with Oregon and some of those programs, Washington? looming this year those programs aren't taking a step back can usc match that and get over that hump that matters to recruits uh so i think that's a bit of a longer play in the damani jackson camp but i, I think it's a very short battle it's alabama Ohio, um, michigan and alabama but he hasn't made that return trip to michigan so i think that that leaves the ball a bit in alabama's court uh and then fagans as you mentioned i mean it's it's a two-horse race there miami's kind of sprinkled in i think other programs are trying to get involved here um, but at the end of the day he either stays home and plays for the tide or he heads over and he's you know one of these head-to-head -head kirby wins that we we see you know every every once in a while uh for the bulldogs um and and it's hard to bet against either of those two programs those are probably the two most relenting uh, or unrelenting recruiting programs in the country yeah, like I said, from my conversations with him, and if, and if on the SI American, if we did projections, if we put those little CBs, right, I would have had Georgia 100% 10 lock. I mean, just from, just from hearing from the horse's mouth, I, I, it would have been Georgia, right? Uh, but Alabama's definitely made a lot of progress in this recruitment. And, and two, I mean, I think it's interesting now with him changing schools going to Thompson because Alabama historically has not been great at Oxford in terms of recruiting. That's a place that Auburn has been really, really good. But now moving to Thompson, you're getting into, you know, like I, like I mentioned, Jeremiah Alexander, another kid that now Clemson is making a big push for. Peter Woods, a 2023 guy. Tony Mitchell, who's also going to man that secondary with Traquan Figgins for one season at least. Um, and then, too, you mentioned Denver Harris. You know, they're going to be – he's going to be coming in June 25th as well. That weekend, the last weekend of June, Alabama fans, you guys have got to get ready. There's a lot of visitors in town, including JTT, and Tyler Booker will be there as well. And I do want to hit on JTT – for a second here, John, you know, Alabama gets that important last uh, last official visit from him 
you know, going into the summer, I mean, you know, he's going to be taking trips to Ohio State, Oregon, his home state, in Washington. What's kind of your feel at this current moment before he enrolls um, after his final visit to Alabama? Man, I don't know. Uh, I think <laughs> Tui Molo-Au is has done as good a job as any elite recruit uh, maybe ever in terms of keeping things close to the vest. There was tangible buzz for every school on this list at one point. Um, the longer it was drawn out, the better Washington felt as the home state school. Uh, but he's already taken that trip now. And he's going to see four other campuses that are, let's be honest, higher profile than Washington today. He's going to see four of those in a row before making a decision. So you can't feel great if you're a, a Husky fan uh, on June 9th. Now, the rest of the visits and the rest of the buzz has been all over the place. Ohio State held the buzz for probably the longest period of time because they've sort of invaded Washington and taken some top recruits. Uh, that trip will be all eyes uh, on the Bucks as usual. Uh, and then he wraps up at Alabama, which probably late spring had some momentum as it was looking to wrap up this class of 2021 um, with, with an extra spot open. And obviously nobody's going to eliminate that spot for uh, JT Tuimoloa, although there was some talk of Ohio State not having enough room uh, a few months back. But nonetheless, the last visit will be big. As we talked about earlier, Bama's ramping up towards that last weekend. Uh, Ty Simpson will be back on campus. Um, he's, he's becoming a more vocal leader in this class of 2022, all important at the quarterback position. So, um, and I think the 2021 group Alabama had brought in obviously will already be on campus. And I think those guys have a chance to really influence uh, JT Tui Malawau, particularly the elite offensive lineman in my mind, your JC Latham's of the world, your Brockermeyer brothers of the world. Those are the guys, you know, from a respect standpoint um, that you want to try to bring in the elite defensive line recruit. Uh, so I, I do think the last shot is, is really important position for Alabama for all of these recruits. Um, and, you know, the discussion on the greatest recruiting classes of all time. If we look back in a few years, um, if you add JTT to that group, um, I think that 2017 Alabama class may have some competition just off of pure talent because um, it's, it's just ridiculous at this point for Alabama. But, you know, elite edge guys have been kind of hard to come by for, for, for Nick Saban and company. So um, it's going to be fascinating to watch, but I'd be lying to you if I told you I had a very good handle on this uh, Tuimolo Al recruitment, but the last visit is always important, and, and that's Bama's spot. Yeah, if they somehow get him, it's like they're going to throw Chris Allen, Will Anderson. Uh, you're going to, and I think Dallas Turner. I know he was a summer enrollee, but I still think Dallas Turner has, is going to be kind of a third third down guy this year. I think he's going to find a way to get in that rotation. There's always a summer enrollee who does. Will Anderson was it last year? Um, so, uh, which he obviously took on more of a role, but he was still a summer enrollee. Um, and I think Dallas Turner will be that. And then you throw in JTT and it's just holy crap. And then in the middle, you've got still guys progressing like a DJ Dale, like a Justin Aboigby. So Alabama's defense will certainly be, uh, you know, even, even stronger with a guy like JTT. And what's interesting is too, John, is that you mentioned Alabama in the West Coast and Alabama's brand. I was talking to two recruits this past week and they were from, they were from Seattle. Both of them went to the same high school JTT went to. It was Jaden Wayne and then uh, Caleb Presley. And it's just like it's just like wow, you know, Alabama too. You look at the West Coast ties; they really don't have that on this coaching staff anymore without Steve Sarkeesian. So that what I thought was I thought that was just super interesting. That and too, I mean, you look at it with when they got to it, right when they kind of started that trend, it was like you had Lane Kiffin there. Um, so to me, I mean, it's just like the amount of, of reach that Alabama is getting. It's like no matter where in the country they can go, they can pull the best players. 
And especially those two guys from the 2023 class left highly impressed. Look, there's, there's three former NFL head coaches on this Alabama staff. Um, and all these kids know is Alabama uh, in terms of winning, in terms of dominance. They're 16, 17 years old, 18 years old. Um, and Alabama's won how many titles in the Saban era? Are we at six or seven? Right. So, you know, for, for almost half of their existence, Alabama has been the one hoisting the crystal ball or the lipstick looking trophy that they have now. Mm -hmm. It's been Alabama and they just did it again, uh, you know, in January, five months ago, almost to the day. So that's what kids know that still sells. And, and, and we've talked about this on this show with, with you, Tyler, the NFL draft too. I mean, look what Bama's done in the last two first rounds. It's been like every position. Um, and this year is going to be more of the same with, you know, Billingsley, Evan Neal, um, you know, some of these guys, Jordan Battle might be a first round. These guys are ascending to first round status every single year, no matter how hyped they were coming into the program. So all of that just sells at Alabama. So again, as long as Nick is there and that it was reinforced with that extension, that will continue to sell because now there are, there are examples of players coming from every single part of America and, and having a lot of success uh, in Tuscaloosa. And you mentioned it, even without that West Coast ace on the coaching staff, it still resonates. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that about clinches how, how foolproof this Alabama pitch is, no matter who the assistants are. I mean, it seems like we say it every year, you know, they keep shuffling them in and they keep recruiting very, very well. So why, why should we expect anything different? Exactly. And, and lastly, John, let's hit on some in-state targets. Let's start with Shamar James, the linebacker from Mobile. Alabama's already got a great uh, Mobile linebacker in this class right here, and Robert Woodard, um, a guy who, man, I mean, last year watching a lot of his highlights, man, he was fun to watch. And Shamar James is too. You, you kind of got a chance to see him back in March when he was down there in Orlando. I know uh, he kind of got hurt or he was dealing with an injury, still ran a 40. What's kind of your take on him? And it's really, I mean, it's just the Gators and the Crimson Tide right now, which he's set to um, go to Gainesville really, really soon. Yeah, um, two-horse race. And it's been a two-horse race for quite some time with James, uh, which I think is very advantageous uh, to Alabama. Look, Mobile hasn't been the best to the Crimson Tide for whatever reason. It's been a little bit of an Auburn vibe down there um, in recent years, but Alabama has picked and prodded in Mobile very, very well. Um, and, and Shamar took his visit this past weekend, correct? So yeah. I just think all the momentum is really with Alabama if it wants a hybrid linebacker on this roster. And I think that's where he becomes so fascinating. He's so different compared to Woodyard in what he does. Woodyard is a sort of downhill classic, you know, a little bit, he'll, he'll remind you a little bit of Reuben Foster when you're watching his tape, just a tad. I'm not, you know, Ruben's got one of the best high school tapes we've ever seen. I'm not saying that, but Woodyard will remind you of him and his build and how he carries himself to a degree of Ruben. Well, Shamar is more like wide open. He's more of a, almost like an Anthony Jennings who in high school we saw play hand in the dirt inside, stand up edge guy, traditional linebacker, tight end, all with success at, at, at Dadeville High School. I think Shamar is a little bit more of that. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's not as sexy as a big hitting linebacker or a clear screaming off the edge pass rusher. But Anthony Jennings is still in the NFL last time I checked. You still you need guys like that, a guy who can seal the edge or rush the passer or potentially cover a tight end. I mean, look at look at the tight ends coming into the SEC. You need someone who can potentially check an Eric Gilbert 
at the line of scrimmage or maybe even run underneath him to balance out that coverage against a safety. And I think Shamar has some of those qualities being a wide receiver, a tight end, uh, and a space guy in high school to where he can be this defensive hybrid uh, that can help you for years to come. And, and that's what Alabama sees. And, and I think that's why ultimately he ends up in Tuscaloosa, but there's no doubt Florida's got nice recruiting momentum. They just had their huge weekend this past weekend. So Gators were front loaded. Bama is back loaded in the month of June. Um, so we'll see how they manufacture buzz when, when Shamar James is on campus, but you know, they've got some guys with ties to the state of Alabama on that staff and they're really pushing. They've, they've kind of been sneaky in Alabama the last few years, you know, and, and you watch their defense this year, Muhammad Diabate will be starting. He's an Auburn guy. Jaden Hill will be starting. He's a Bob Jones guy up in the two, five, six. Florida has been sneaky. Canaries Tony just went in the first round out of Mobile last year. Yeah. Um, Michael P. Ryan. I mean, Florida has been sneaky in Alabama. So if they're going to grab one this class, we think uh, Shamar could be that guy, but I think it comes down to the official, but it would have to be overwhelming to overtake Alabama. It's a top two. And I think it's a defined top two, Alabama one, Florida two. So it would really have to be something almost unprecedented in my mind to see James move up, uh, move the Gators above the Crimson Tide. I think if he leaves Gainesville uncommitted, Bama's in very good shape for, for his, uh, his eventual commitment, which, which we don't expect to be uh, too far along from now. Exactly. John, your CSS top two, but they ain't two. Um, and and to another, another in-state, another in-state target, Antonio Kite, um, the talented uh, athlete, I'll put athlete by there on, from Aniston, uh, you know, really his first year playing high school football this past year, played both sides of the ball for Aniston. He's a great basketball player as well. Alabama's been on him. Uh, what, what do you think about him and uh, his ability and, you know, where he could end up one day? This is the upside recruit of all these DBs we've been talking about. This is the one with the least experience, as you just said, but maybe the most natural athleticism. Unbelievable basketball player helped Aniston win a state title there. But uh, his future's in football. And the good news for, for any college football fan is that Antonio knows that. He knows he's a football player at the collegiate level. Um, you know, he was back in Tuscaloosa uh, earlier this week spent time with Nick Saban. There was maybe the, the buzz that he may jump on board with a verbal commitment, but then you, like you said, Traquan Fagans is getting FaceTime with Saban as well. So is Alabama in position to take both of these guys? Could this be an either or between Georgia and Alabama? Cause Georgia's in it for, for Antonio Kite as well. Spooty is what, what you know, his nickname. Georgia's in it for Spooty too. Um, so could that be Bama gets one, Georgia gets one, and we just got to figure out who's who it's very possible. And I think they're different. I think Traquan Fagans is your bigger zone corner, maybe safety upside with Traquan as, as opposed to Kite, who I think is physically more of a true cover corner. Think more of a uh, JC Horn type of build, more of a, almost a Malachi Moore type of build, a little bit more compact, but with great length. Uh, and speed and explosiveness. So I think he's a guy who can play that nickel or play that traditional corner as to where I think Fagans is more of a bigger corner, maybe safety down the line. So I think stylistically and schematically, Alabama could almost, you know, make a decision between the two if they can't have both in the class. But if I'm a betting man, I would say Bama grabs at least one of these two before all is said and done. And, and I think that's a win in and of itself because of the national DB targets that Alabama is in on so if you satisfy the in-state guy uh, you can go out of state and grab you know some of the other elites uh, in the country and I think that 
that would all be just fine for for probably both Bama and Georgia. But uh, they are very different, so it'll be interesting. Does does Antonio kind of remind you a little bit? Uh, and he's a different player, and he's played. I mean, this guy's played football a lot longer than Antonio has. But does he kind of remind you of Terry on Arnold a little bit? Does the athleticism standpoint? Yeah, you know, Arnold. Arnold's one of these guys that when you look at him, you're like, okay, that's a safety or a wide receiver. But you know, he's coming to Bama to play corner. Um, which tells you where the explosiveness and the athleticism lies. And I think Spooty's built similarly. Now, I don't think he's as filled out as Arnold. He's not as big as Terrian at the same stage, uh, but he'll have a chance uh, to get there. He was nursing an injury, hasn't really been able to sort of dominate the weight room like a Terrian Arnold did at this time last year. So we expect him to gain a little bit more weight. Eventually he will will sort of let basketball fade and start focusing on football. That will help him to, to fill out more as well. Like we've seen with, I remember Jordan battle in high school is a three sport guy and he was so slim. I was like, man, is he going to play early at Alabama? I don't know. Well, he figured it out. He played early. He filled out a little bit and, and he's one of the best safeties in the country. Same thing with Terry and Arnold, same thing with, with Spooty, Jaquincy McKinstry, same conversation, right? Just so athletic doing so many things. When is he just going to start to, hit the weight room and focus maybe on one sport, at least over the other. Uh, and I think Kite is, is not far along off from doing that. He's, he's getting healthier now. So I think we're going to see some more weight on him. But yeah, he's got some true, true bounce. I mean, he might be a better dunker than both um, Terry and Arnold and Kulit. You know, so if we're going, if we're going the Nate Oates route, you know, who's the best dunker between the three? It could be Kite. And he's obviously the youngest. So that is certainly something that tells you about the, the explosiveness and, and the overall athleticism. And honestly, the length that, that he has on his frame, kind of a sleeper recruit. You know, he, like I said, he was banged up. Everybody didn't sort of go all in seeing him at a camp or anything like that. So still kind of a hidden gem out there in Aniston. And I think when we look back on this class, wherever he's at, we're going to say, dang, like we should have spent more time looking at him because he ended up being X, Y, Z. Bama feels that way. Georgia feels that way and their track record uh, certainly uh, is worth, you know, accepting. Lastly, this might not be Alabama specific, but I know a lot of people that listen to this, they like, they know the Alabama prospects because obviously we're in the state of Alabama and they want to know about these local guys. One thing that's been really interesting to me is kind of seeing, you know, this, this crop this year, right? Like uh, of in-state talent, like TJ Dudley, Justice Finkley. Um, I mentioned Jeremiah again is, you know, outside of Alabama, you know, I'm just, I'm just curious, John, for those guys, is there a way Central Florida? Because I, I, you know, I, I understand they got Coach Williams, uh, T. Will from Auburn too. Uh, you know, his brief stint at Miami, then he comes over with bounce on. Is there any way UCF could be a big threat to for a lot of these in-state guys? You think? Well, they're visiting this weekend, right? Yeah. Jeremiah Alexander will be down there. Um, look, they they can they can do some things. I, I think there was there was. There's a saltiness there. There's no doubt about leaving uh, how things went at the end at Auburn. And you, you talk to anybody down in Orlando, they'll tell you Gus, Gus has a, a bit of a, a pep in his step right now. And you mentioned he brought T will down with him. Who's probably the best like, pure linebacker recruiter uh, in, in the country, maybe. So if there's a position and a spot where they can spoil uh, a power five recruitment, I think it could be, it could be the linebacker position. Um, you know, they're, they're going to host elite prospects. Kids want to go down to Florida. Look, it just, it just is what it is. I just think they have an advantageous spot at a program like UCF. And, and I think every year they're going to kind of sneakily grab one of these pure power five prospects. And, 
you know, Jeremiah is a really calculated kid. Um, so, you, you know, he's going to factor in everything. Really smart prospect, you know, LSU, Bama, Clemson, UCF. I mean, that might be the group at the end of the day um, for, for a kid like that. But you mentioned TJ Dudley is another one that, that UCF is high on as well. They're going to grab one of these guys. These, these are linebackers. These just fit exactly what you think. Uh, and, and a lot of the primary competition is pretty far away, right? Um, you know, TJ Dudley was at Oregon and, and things went really, really well. But, you know, is, is Oregon as likely as UCF? Today, that's a toss-up. And if it's a toss-up before the kid visits UCF, I think that's a big indication on, on where that staff is and where they want to be. So, again, I just think it was, it was the best off-season hire of, of any of these programs because UCF's already kind of right there. So they, if they can just jump up a little bit more without the pressure that a USC has or an Oregon has or a Michigan has, I think it could really do some damage on the recruiting trail. They're already doing it in the transfer portal uh, for some of those same reasons. Uh, so why wouldn't it eventually translate over to high school? Uh, and, and we talked about the programs prioritizing a certain weekend Florida's was week one to A&M's was week one. Bama is the final week of June. UCS is this weekend. It's like the bounce house weekend. Basically remember big cat weekend at Auburn. Yeah. This is that at UCF. Um, and it's this weekend. So, Hey, I'm not saying they're getting commits this weekend, but, but they might. Um, and if they're going to be in the running for an elite player, who's looking at power five schools this weekend, will have a lot to do with it. So I'm, I'm basically just covering them. Like they're another power five school. Cause I think that's the level they're going to recruit at. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. And I was, I, I was just really fascinated with them because, you know, there's so much buzz, you know, even in Alabama with these prospects about UCF, especially when Gus got hired. And it's like, uh, you know, just come play where the world visits. I think that's a great tagline. And I think too, if there's a group of five team to ever, to ever even come close to being on the level of power five and recruiting, it's going to be UCF. And, and to me, that's just super fascinating. And like I said, I mean, if, and here's the reality. If Alabama really wants you, it's, it's you're, they're going to make it really hard for you to say no, right, at the end of the day. But I just feel like it's, it's you're basically waking a sleeping giant pretty much at UCF, yeah. in my opinion. And seeing all these Alabama guys and people I know who, who listen to this who are interested in where these guys end up, it's like, man, UCF could be, it could become a pipeline, right, um, down to Orlando. Yeah, think about this. I, I, I heard this over the weekend. UCF has done so well with, with some of their in-house coaches, right, Scott Frost, Josh Heupel, who are now in the Power Five, those guys did that at UCF with that being their first head job, period. So now with Gus, he's got multiple head coaching stops already on the resume and then comes down to UCF. So the whole you know transition, it's going to take some time. That's all out of the window because Gus has, has sort of been there um, and done that. So yeah, I'm, I'm expecting huge things uh, from that program pretty much right out of the gate. And if you're going to recruit against them, this is the year to do it because as, as they build the on-field product, they're getting a lot of primetime, you know, game slots this year, it's going to be tough. Um, and, and we already talked about the numbers for the power five schools are low. You know, if Alabama's taken 18, that's seven, eight, nine spots that were available last year that aren't available this year. Where do those seven, eight, nine kids go? You know, they start to disperse throughout the country. Again, more reason for a program like a UCF or a lower level P5 to come grab a kid that frankly they shouldn't. Um, so it's, it just seems like it's a, a nice storyline journalistically, but from a football perspective, I, I just think it's a matter of when and not if some of those P5 guys look 
look to UCF. Yeah, I know Alabama fans, you know, Alabama's been scheduling so many home and homes this week, already Oklahoma State and then Boston College. And I know they would want to schedule UCF as well, especially if UCF is able to load up on some Alabama talent. Yeah, I think does Gus have the most wins against Nick? He does. He's the, like, he's the period? leading active coach. Yeah. Right. So Gus has beat Nick for, I know, obviously different circumstances, three times. You know, no one else has, has matched that. I think Dabble's got two. So yeah, Orgeron's one. I mean, yeah. So hello. <laughs> I mean, what, what else would you sell? Florida weather. We got T-Will. We got a great coaching staff, a young coaching staff, new facilities. And oh, by the way, I'm the only coach that, you know, bugs Nick Saban. Uh, that that will sell and kids kids will 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 know that we're that the age of of recruiting and only focusing on your school is starting to fade i thought i saw a michigan they've got an ohio state thing in their weight room they've got an ohio state sign what are you doing to beat ohio state today uh in their weight room so everybody's mentioning everybody else uh so i think again those things will help a ucf go from very good g5 team to when are they going to get into a conference? I mean, I, that conversation never goes away, but I think it's going to be even more consistent with uh, Melzahn and company there. Um, and that stat against Saban is about as good as it gets in recruiting. Yeah. And to Michigan's point, I mean, they haven't done much. So um, that's the answer to that. But no, John, yeah, thanks. For it's like on. take another set. <laughs> yeah. No, thanks for coming on here, man. I, I really appreciate the insight. Um, can you maybe real quick before we get you over here, you can, because I know we they just released the initial team rankings and you guys are going to kind of do that monthly. And I know people are worried about the, the All-American um, candidates as well. And like you guys had the rollout last year. Is, is there going to be something similar to that this year? Yeah. So basically we're, we're in the middle of a crazy rollout uh, paired with our daily recruiting coverage. So team rankings will be updated every month. In July, we'll get into some All-American candidates, some watch lists. We'll probably go by position. So we'll, you know, where will Ty Simpson be in that quarterback watch list? We'll, we'll, we'll dig into all that in July. And, and yeah, August, SI99. You know, it's already time again for, for that preseason list. And my goodness, we are in such better position to do it this year than we were last year because we've been out and about watching elite prospects all over the country. We'll be over at the, the opening finals and the Elite 11 in, in California later this month. So uh, we're really excited to compile all of these lists and kind of let you guys know what we've been seeing out on the road. Um, so it'll be a busy summer, not, not only for the recruits, but certainly for us covering it. Awesome. You heard it here first from John Garcia, Jr. I appreciate you, man. Always a pleasure, Tyler. Take care. All right. That was John Garcia, Jr. You can find him on Twitter. Um, SL American as well is going to be on there. Um, and that has been another episode of the All Things Now podcast. Make sure to like, rate, and subscribe.